Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click Ratings and Reviews. You can also follow me on Facebook.com slash RunPaleo or on Twitter at RunPaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Paul Jaminet, author of The Perfect Health Diet. He blogs at theperfecthealthdiet.com. Paul, it's great to have you back on the show. This is your second time. It's great speaking with you. Oh, hi, Aaron. It's great to be back with you. So, Paul, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea that you bring about in your book called Safe Starches. A lot of people in the paleo community are a little bit afraid of carbs. And, you know, I, I, I've read Gary Taub's work, and if you read things that he writes, he, it seems to imply that anything that raises your insulin is going to be very dangerous. But after reading your book, you know, you have a really different perspective. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, this ba- your basic idea of safe starches? And, and if you want, maybe just go over the diet in a, a general overview a little bit. Yeah. Well, the idea behind our diet is that uh, uh, the goal of eating is to nourish your body. And so we want to get all of the nutrients that our body needs. And we want to get them in just the right amount so that they're delivering the maximum possible value in terms of health. And uh, so for most nutrients, you can either get too little or too much. And we want to be right in, in uh, the middle at the optimum for everything. And for some of them, the optimum is very low. Like we think uh, the optimal amount of omega-6 fats is probably between 1% and 3% of energy. Uh, and that's quite a bit lower than what most Americans eat. Um, and carbohydrates, we think the optimum is around 30% carbs, and most Americans eat about 50%. So um, most Americans should reduce their carb intake. Uh, but I think a lot of people in the low-carb community have gone overboard, and uh, they've said if less is good, then... Uh, then zero, you know, or something close to it, uh, may be best. And, uh, and that's a mistake, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and it's especially a mistake for athletes. Um, and so I think, uh, 30% carbs works pretty well for just about everybody. Uh, you know, people who are more power athletes will benefit from going a little higher, like forty uh, percent, uh, maybe fifty percent, even. Um, but uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, runners will do just great on thirty percent, and thirty percent carbs is very good because then you're eating closer to fifty percent fats, uh, and fats are a very good fuel for running, mm. and especially endurance running, and. Uh, and really, when you're eating 30% carbs, it's going to be taken up almost entirely by the brain, the immune system, and various uh, structural 
functions of carbohydrate. Uh, for instance, its use in the extracellular membrane or joint lubrication or making mucus in uh, airways and digestive tracts. And so there's various things we need carbohydrate for that don't have anything to do with muscles. And, you know, so basically if you're eating a 30% carb diet, all of your carbs are going to those other purposes. Uh, your muscles are working entirely on fat. And, uh, and that's a good baseline situation for an athlete to be in. Okay. So you mentioned there that, you know, it's a, a certain amount of carbs are important and, and you've come up with this number of 30%, which maybe we could go into later of why you think that's appropriate. But can we control, can the body control whether the carbs go to our muscles or to our nervous system or our brain? Will the body just do that on its own? Yeah. Um, yeah, the body has evolved mechanisms to manage that. And so, for instance, uh, the brain gets most of its glucose by an insulin-independent mechanism. As long as you have glucose in the blood, it, it will go to your brain. Um, so it just goes across a concentration gradient across the blood-brain barrier. And, you know, whereas muscle cells uh, will only take it up if stimulated by insulin. Uh, so in that case, uh, you know, the muscles are basically an uh, disposal pathway for an excess of carbohydrate, um, and uh, or uh, they'll take it up when they become starved of oxygen. And so the advantage of carbohydrates is you can you can generate uh, the motor uh, molecule for muscles ATP with uh, less oxygen and. Uh, you know, so that's why when you start getting short of breath, your body starts to shift over from fat burning to carbohydrate burning. Okay. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that um, some of the reading I had done, things like reading uh, Volokh and Finney, Gary Taubes, they seem to imply that having an insulin spike is very dangerous for the body. But I I'm guessing your view on that is quite different. Can you tell me a little bit about whether you think insulin spikes are dangerous? Well, it would depend on your definition of spike, but um, insulin is a beneficial compound. That's why we evolved it. Um, so it supports health. Uh, insulin is stimulated by protein as well as carbohydrate. Mm. And the only way to uh, minimize insulin levels is through starvation. Uh, and, uh, and starvation isn't good for either health or athleticism. Mm -hmm. um, so... It's not the case that you want minimum insulin. Uh, what you want is the right level of insulin that helps promote lean tissue growth and muscle and athletic flourishing, but uh, doesn't uh, lead to various problems. And uh, and you know, I think uh, to be honest, I think insulin levels are rarely uh, a problem outside of diabetes. Um, and even in diabetes, it's more that uh, the nature, uh, it's, you know, insulin serves a coordinating function in the body and it, gen and it generally performs that function very well. So the problem usually isn't insulin um, or even that you've eaten something insulin insulinogenic. It's that uh, you're malnourishing the body 
you're eating too much of some nutrients, too little of others, you're uh, creating infections or other sources of problems, uh, you know, you're disrupting your body in other ways, for instance, a bad lifestyle, bad circadian rhythms, you stay up all night, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you don't generally support your health in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, so there's usually a lot of uh, um, external levers by which you're influencing your health. And it's usually uh, if you address those levers, then your body will fix itself and insulin will take care of itself. Uh, and, you know, so it's an oversimplification to say that, you know, all you need to do is uh, reduce carbohydrate, reduce uh, insulin. Okay. And, uh, um, <laughs> and there's some other complications, like, for instance, uh, generally speaking, when people eat carbohydrates, their tissues become more insulin sensitive. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the body needs less insulin in order to get cells to take up carbohydrates. And that means that people who eat some carbohydrates tend to have lower fasting insulin than people who eat no carbohydrates. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, yeah, so, you know, even if you were to take the view that minimizing insulin is the goal, then you have to ask, you know, what insulin are you minimizing? Is it the insulin after a meal or the fasting insulin or average 24-hour insulin or something else? And, uh, you know, really there's not that much difference over a pretty broad range of carb intakes in average 24-hour insulin. So it's a, uh, it's a tough, uh, it would be a tough case to make if anyone were seriously trying to make it. Okay. So, Paul, you know, since I read your book, I've pretty much been following pretty closely your diet. And you mentioned that we should include things like healthy fats to flavor our, our, our starches. Like, so if I'll have a baked potato, I'll have a baked potato with butter and sour cream. Why, why is it important to include some of those healthy fats? Well, for several reasons. One is just to get a balanced diet and balanced meal, and that's easiest to do if you're... Uh, um, you know, if you make each meal balanced, then your diet will be balanced. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also because, uh, in general, mixing different types of foods renders the food more digestible. Um, so, uh, for instance, if you have your potato with sour cream or butter, uh, then the glycemic response will be better. Uh, the blood glucose levels won't rise as high. Uh, you won't get as much of an insulin spike if you're worried about that. Um, and uh, the uh, fat-related compounds in the potato will be digested better because uh, the butter or sour cream will stimulate bile, and uh, um, you know, so you'll pick up uh, you know various beneficial compounds from the potato more readily okay. and uh, you know and you'll slow down gastric emptying your food will spend more time in your stomach um, which supports protein digestion and helps avoid uh, food sensitivities and toxicity um, so you know overall you just do better eating a balanced meal where you have you know some kind of meat uh, some kind of starch some kind of vegetable some kind of fat 
uh, some kind of acid is good also, so you should put vinegar on your potato as well as uh, butter. Okay. And so, um, and you know, basically by the time you're finished making your, your meals as helpful as possible, uh, they should taste a lot like a gourmet meal. Uh, you know, so you should have very flavorful sauces uh, for your food and uh, things like that. Okay. You know, Paul, one of the things I really like about your diet is that it's it's really convenient, it's easy to make, and it's it's you actually end up making pretty uh, satisfying, del- delicious foods. And um, for example, I could I could have a safe starch like some white rice with a stir fry, maybe uh, saute the vegetables and meat in some coconut oil, um, or include some grass fed butter in there. Um, but how do we know what the proper amount is? Say we're training for a 5K versus a marathon. How are we going to modulate those carbs? Can we just listen to our body, or is there some other rule we should follow? Well, um, I think you only need to tweak the diet a little bit because, as I said, you know that 30% carb ratio, it basically doesn't leave any carbs left over for muscle. And, uh, you know, so the muscle will, uh, will be insulin it gives you just enough to make the muscles insulin sensitive so that after a meal they'll take some of the carbohydrate up into as glycogen uh, and store it and that that will help you regulate blood glucose so if you ate a very low carb diet uh, then they they would uh, be reserving all of the glucose for the brain and they'd uh, let the liver take it all up and you'd, you'd have what's called uh, insulin resistance uh, of a physiological kind. Um, and, you know, so your glycemic regulation gets better as you, as you add carbs, but you're still not feeding muscles. Um, you know, they'll just use a little bit of, uh, glucose incidentally during the day or when you do, uh, intense athletics, uh, and they'll be able to, uh, take that back up. And, um, so what you may experience is having more energy for, uh, you know, for intense athletics and intense movement because you don't have the uh, limitation of limited muscle glycogen. Okay. Um, and, you know, but since, uh, since you're basically only supplying enough glucose for the brain and immune system and extracellular uh, compounds, uh, you know, your muscles are, you know, they're all through the ordinary course of the day, they're burning fat, and that's what they have for machinery. And so you're basically getting all of the fat burning uh, training benefits. Um, you know, so a typical, a, a typical training strategy, uh, you know, will have you doing some, say, long uh, uh, baseline building in that sort of a fat burning pace. So that's, that's kind of like, uh, Phil Maffetone's, uh, you know, low intensity level thing where you, uh, do a lot of running at a pace where, uh, you know, your breath doesn't come too quickly. You're very comfortable. Uh, you're burning fat, uh, but it's intense enough to, to challenge, you know, to, uh, steadily increase your ability to, uh, utilize fats to bring in more oxygen to the muscle 
and to develop the muscle. And so you're, you're building up your capacity to do more work in that fat burning mode. And then if you throw in some sprint intervals, which stress, uh, you know, which get you up into that intense carbohydrate burning mode and try and lift the limits there, uh, then you can have a training regimen that uh, exercises both pathways and, you know, stresses them and tries to maximize their capabilities. Uh, and then you'll be well prepared for a race where uh, you're going to uh, put out quite a lot of effort in uh, the region where you're having difficulty breathing, you know, you're burning as much fat as you can, but you're also uh, burning a lot of glycogen. Okay. Is there an, an advantage to burning more fat? Say say you might be doing a half marathon or a 10K where you're really not at risk of uh, running out of glucose. Um, is, is there an advantage to having to being more of a fat burner, do you think? Um, well, I think you will be fat burning, mm -hmm. all right? Um, you know, you can't, you can't go at a very intense pace uh, for very long, and so you'll have a very substantial amount of fat burning uh, in, any, in any lengthy race. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the key thing is to prepare for it in your training, Okay. And so you want to do uh, plenty of training runs where you're, uh, you, you know, you don't want all of your training runs to be high intensity. Right. Um, do you think that we can change the amount of fat burning just based on what we eat? I know your, your diet is around 50 to 60% fat. If we can eat that much fat, will it help us burn more fat while, while we're running? Uh, yeah. So... You know, it's, you know, biology is a lot like exercise. You know, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. And, you know, the more you, your muscles are burning fat instead of carbs, the more they get better at uh, metabolizing fat. Okay. So they'll have more, for instance, molecules that uh, transport fats like carnitine. Um, they'll have more uh, coenzyme A, which uh, is needed to... Uh, shuttle the energy in mitochondria. You know they'll they'll uh, you know they'll have developed a better circulatory system for delivering oxygen because uh, burning fats is oxygen intensive. Uh, you know so you'll have you'll have made all kinds of adaptations uh, to fat burning, and you know one of the things people notice is it becomes very easy to fast on our diet. Mm -hmm. and on any low-carb diet for the most part. And the reason for that is, uh, it, it is you know, simply that you've got everything in fat burning, uh, you know, well adapted to fat burning, that's its normal state. And when you fast, you're getting energy from fats, you're releasing fat from adipose tissue. Okay. And, you know, so you don't have any change. Whereas if you've been eating a very high-carb diet, and all of your cells are used to metabolizing carbs and the carbs go away, uh, they may have fats available, but they're not, uh, they're not set up to uh, rely on them. Mm -hmm. And so you get a little starved. Uh, your cells complain, say, give me some carbs. <laughs> and 
So that's a very common experience that, uh, you know, people eating 50% carb diets have trouble fasting and people eating 30% carb diets have no trouble. Okay. Paul, you talk in your book about something called a ketogenic diet and you talk about the proper way to do it. Um, some things that people might be interested in doing this for would be epilepsy or brain disorders. But what about people who are interested in doing events of marathon or longer? Do you think that a, a properly implemented ketogenic diet could be advantageous? Well, I, I don't, I haven't seen evidence that it's uh, advantageous for athletes. So, um, you know, one advantage of uh, of ketogenic dieting is that it, it can get ketones to mitochondria uh, without any active transport. So fatty acids need to be transported. Mm -hmm. So you need to train yourself in order to burn fats and you need to generate things like carnitine and so on. Uh, whereas ketones can bypass all that transport. So one thing they found is that if someone has a heart attack and you give them ketones, then that will greatly aid their recovery from the heart attack and they'll, mm. they'll suffer less damage to the heart. And that's because you're not delivering blood well, but these ketones are small molecules that just diffuse everywhere. And so they can get uh, to places without, even when your active transport mechanisms aren't working. And that means uh, if you go into ketosis, you may be able to make a shortcut around some missing training adaptations. If you weren't, uh, if you haven't thoroughly trained yourself to metabolize fats, you might be able to get some of the benefits of improved fat burning, you know, by generating ketones. But in terms of a trained athlete, um, you know, I think fats should be able to do everything ketones can do. Mm. Um, and it's, and the trouble with ketogenic diets is that, uh, well, first of all, people commonly get into ketosis in part by starving themselves of carbohydrate and protein. Uh, and that's not, that's not good for you. And it's not very good for athletes either. So, like I said, if, if you're an athlete, you want to be well adapted to both fat and carbohydrate burning. And, uh, and it's hard to get well adapted to carbohydrate burning if you're starving yourself of carbs. Mm -hmm. And so that type of ketogenic dieting, I don't, I don't think is optimal for an athlete. Okay. And, um, and uh, now we recommend ketogenic diets for, as therapies for various conditions. And we recommend doing it with a, a minimum of carbohydrate and protein restriction. So we recommend, you know, eating a fair amount of starches and a fair amount of protein, um, but you know, sort of flooding your liver with MCT oil or coconut oil. Okay. And generating ketones. So then the liver generates ketones as a way of getting rid of those of those MC medium chain triglycerides. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you know, so that that type of approach to a ketogenic diet wouldn't be as bad for athletes, uh, but I'm not sure it has advantages either. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I'd kind of, 
I'd like to see this get tested, but I, I haven't seen that there are advantages. Mm-hmm. And I think actually a saturated fat rich diet might be better than a ketogenic diet. Okay. And, and is your, and that's basically when you say a saturated fat rich, that's basically what you recommend in your, in your uh, diet for most people, right? Yeah, that's right. So the fats we recommend tend to be saturated fat rich, you know, so things like butter or cream or uh, beef tallow. Okay. Uh, so do you think that uh, perhaps Kenyans would do better on a saturated fat diet? I mean, I know they're eating a lot of s- stuff called ugali, which is like a, a I think it's like a, a corn mush, and, and sometimes they'll put like an oily sauce over it. But do you, what do you think about that? When, when we look at really top-performing athletes, do you think that there's any chance that they could do better on something more like the perfect health diet? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I think they, w- they would do better. Um, you know, a lot would depend on the quality of the oil that they're using. If they're using vegetable oils that are high in omega-6, I think that would be terrible for their athleticism. Um, you know, I think it's fine to eat uh, carbohydrates with oil, you know, so that can very easily be, you know, right in line with our macronutrient recommendations, of like 30% carb, 50% fat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, if you... Remember, fat has nine calories per gram, and carb has four calories per gram. So, if you're at thirty percent uh, carb and fifty percent fat, you're you're eating more uh, carbs than you are fat. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, fat you often get as oils, which are pure calories, whereas carbs you often get as food, which is you know things like potatoes that are mostly water. Uh, and so actually it only takes a small, you know, relatively small amount of oil on most carb foods, Mm -hmm. uh, to get to that ratio. Uh, so it could be that those Kenyan athletes are eating, you know, exactly our ratio already. Uh, it would be interesting to see, uh, what they do and what their lore is about what the optimal food for athletes is. Mm -hmm. How about body composition? You know, a big thing for running is having, at least I think, for, is having the right body composition. And, and if we look at the elite athletes, they have a very low BMI. How, how can we go about making sure that our bodies are at the optimal composition? All right. Well, body composition is, is number one, a function of uh, how you eat. Uh, so do you nourish your tissues properly with nothing left over? So if you had a if you have a lot of leftover calories by the time you get your body nourished, uh, then they'll have to go have to go somewhere, and your body composition won't be as good. Um, another issue is inflammation, uh, you know, which causes you to gain fat and to gain water weight and uh, to have uh, leaky extracellular matrix matrix uh, scaffolding, and you know to have various uh, to gain gain weight in multiple ways, and so it's very important to be to nourish your immune system, to get things like the fat soluble vitamins and vitamin C, uh, to eat plenty of collagen sources. Um, you know, so there's various things you can do to minimize inflammation, uh, and uh, uh, and then you know, so PhD actually does 
uh, both of those things. So if you're on the perfect tilt diet, you'll tend to have very good body composition. Uh, and then if you're just if you're just running a lot, then you'll tend to get a runner's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think there's any advantage to restricting calories uh, so that you achieve a certain body max index? I know a lot of the elite marathoners are around 18 and a half or somewhere in the 18s. But what if your body just doesn't naturally want to go that low? Would there be any reason to to then restrict calories? Um, I I don't think that's a good idea. I think your body usually knows what it what it wants and has good reasons for wanting it. Mm-hmm. And you know, not everybody has the genetic endowment to be a top marathoner. And right. uh, you know, so if your body wants you to be a champion power lifter, uh, then maybe you shouldn't try to be a marathoner Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know so that that's the first thing I would say Um, you know I think it's uh, you know I think if if you if you train like a marathoner and do lots of running then you will tend to be quite slender Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know but I you know some of some of your body shape is set in your genes and some is set at early developmental ages like in the womb Mm -hmm. and you know so you can't easily uh change every aspect of your body right paul you know you're you're a really productive guy and and you're writing a lot of blog posts and you're doing uh perfect health retreats which i'd like to hear about but what are some of the hacks uh, that you use to be so productive can, can you share with our listeners some of those things that you do? Do you have any tricks? Um, <laughs> I would say my, my number one and only trick is, is just to be healthy. And, you know, so I find I'm tremendously more productive when I'm healthy than when I'm unhealthy. And, and I've been unhealthy. So, uh, uh, you know, it it's, it's very good to be in good health and to be able to... Uh, you know, have lots of energy and to be able to focus your energy on whatever task you choose to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then apart from that, I wouldn't say that I try to be uh, very productive. Um, you know, I try to, I just have a lot of things that I enjoy. I, I enjoy my work, I enjoy working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, so I just, uh, you know, devote time to that, and then when I get tired, then I do something do something else that I enjoy. And uh, you know, so the things I make a point to make time for, I make a point to go running every day. Um, I make a point to eat on a fixed schedule and to get eight hours of sleep every day. And uh, you know, I actually take a certain amount of time away from work and productivity just in order to. Uh, try and keep myself in good health. Okay. So you mentioned that you eat on a fixed time every day. Is that um, to try to get your circadian rhythms um, working properly? Yeah, exactly. So um, you want to expose yourself to bright light over a fixed period of time every day, uh, you know, preferably like a 12-hour window. And within that 12-hour window, you want to eat within a fixed time period uh, like preferably an eight-hour window, and you want to get just before eating, you want to get exercise. So I try to exercise a little bit twice a day. Uh, my 
primary exercise is around midday, I go running, and then I have my first meal of the day immediately after getting back. Uh, and then I try to do a few minutes of exercise in the late afternoon. And uh, those are more body weight uh, type exercises like push-ups, pull-ups, squats. Um, and, uh, and then I go to the gym once a week to lift weights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, basically that whole regimen is designed around circadian rhythm optimization. So you need to stimulate it with light and then with darkness or red, yellow light at night. Uh, you need to have your food uh, intake happen in the daytime and preferably in a restricted window. Uh, so I do intermittent fasting, about 16 hours fasting, eight hours feeding a day. Uh, and you need to get exercise. So about 30 minutes of moderately intense exercise is enough to uh, train circadian rhythms. And that's about how much I run. Uh, and you know, so those are the main factors. And then ambient temperature, you want a relatively warm environment during the day, a cool environment at night. Um, and social interactions, you want to engage with people like we're engaging with each other right now mm-hmm. during the daytime. And you want to relax and be comfortable at night. Um, so uh, circadian rhythms are, they're just incredibly important for health and people don't appreciate how much they can impact their health by how they uh, stimulate the body with these external lifestyle factors. So you do a lot of uh, writing and you, I'm guessing you're indoors. Do you put your computer by a window? Do you stand up or do you use a treadmill desk? What do you do to uh, kind of mitigate some of, some of all that sitting that comes along with writing sometimes? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have my desk elevated on cinder blocks, so it's about waist height. So I can stand um, in front of it and use it as a standing desk. Uh, and I have my monitor up at eye level. I also have a draftsman's chair, which just happens to get up at the top to just the right height for sitting, so that without you know changing anything else, I can just move from standing to sitting and uh, you know work sitting down. I also have a piano bench that I can kneel on, or when I'm standing, I can put one foot up on the piano bench. And uh, so that gives me three alternatives. And then a fourth alternative is um, I have a desktop computer, but I also have a laptop. And if I'm just doing reading, then I can go take the laptop and I can sit on the floor, sit cross-legged you know, or, or yoga pose or something and, and read while sitting. Um, you know, or I could uh, use uh, tablets for that also. And, uh, you know, so I just try to get in lots of different postures and positions during the day. Um, I found that uh, sitting all the time is not so good, but standing all the time might be even worse. Mm. Uh, so, but what's really good is to get into a variety of postures uh, as much as you can. Get into folded postures and extended postures and, uh, and do lots of shifting of positions and moving. Um, and then for light exposure, that's very important. Uh, my desk uh, does face the window, but I also have a light box, and I have F-Lux on my computer, and I, I have lots of bright lights in 
in my office. And uh, so I turn those on during the day. And then we have some amber lights for nighttime lighting. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, at night, I turn off all the white lights. Uh, you can wear blue blocking glasses uh, or use amber lighting and use FLUX to tone down the computer. So uh, there's a lot of things you can do to optimize your environment. Okay. You mentioned there that standing might be worse than sitting all day. Why, why do you say that? Well, any, any uh, posture where you're uh, stressing parts of the body all the time um, can, be, can be harmful. So you really need variety. And uh, in terms of standing, you know, for instance, it's a, it's a bit of a hardship to pump blood up from the, uh, from the feet up to the top of the body all the time. And if you, if you sit down, you've got a, a couple feet less of distance between your heart and your feet. And that can make a big difference in terms of uh, ability to uh, pump blood. And you're also, while you're, while you're sitting, your feet are a little free, they're unweighted, and so they can move more. Uh, so you, you're more likely to flex your ankle and, and so on. And that's one advantage of having like a bench where you can, you know, so right now I have one foot up on the bench and, you know, so my knee and my hip joints are bent and I can, you know, move my body around and get into different angles and actually do a little stretching while we're talking. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, but it, it's not uncommon, you know, for people who are standing all the time or even walking all the time, like waitresses, to end up with swollen feet or, you know, things like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I also found, you know, when I was standing all the time, uh, that I was starting to lose range of motion in mm. some some joints, and I had to do I had to commit to doing like half an hour of yoga a day in order to you know not lose range of motion in the hips or uh, you know. Whereas now that I have quite a bit more variety in my uh, working positions, I don't I don't you know need to do nearly as much stretching to keep mobility in my joints. Interesting, interesting. So, Paul, what's next for you? What do you what do you have What are you working on lately? Um, well, the thing that's been keeping me really busy is our Perfect Health retreats in Austin, Texas, uh, and they've been uh, fabulously successful from a health point of view. So, everyone who has gone has seen tremendous health improvements. And I just uh, before talking to you got off uh, the phone talking with a woman who had you know, chronic fatigue and brain fog uh, for uh, decades. And, uh, and for her 50th birthday present to herself, she, you know, bought a month at uh, the Perfect Health Retreat. And uh, she's lost weight. She's improved her sleep. She cleared up her, you know, her, she said her energy went from 20% of normal to 80% of normal. And uh, uh, you know, she'll hopefully get the last twenty percent back uh, soon. And uh, you know, her brain fog went away, and uh, she lost eight pounds. Um, so, you know, we just had a tremendous number of 
success stories. We had uh, one woman who was scheduled for two knee replacements and a hip replacement and was in pain all the time and walking with a cane. And, you know, now she does full-time gardening and uh, is in tremendous shape and, uh, you know, pain-free, uh, athletic, and, uh, uh, you know, so great things can happen if you, uh, if you fix your diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit more about that retreat. Uh, how many people go to it and what, what does it involve? All right. Well, we've, uh, we've typically been having, uh, like two, two to three people per month. And of course we'd like to have more. There is capacity for, uh, up to 14. And, uh, you know, so we have to spread the word about it. Uh, but you know, hopefully as we keep having so many, so much success in health terms, we'll get, uh, we'll get more people to come. Um, and so basically, uh, we have a 30 day program, uh, which is enough to teach everything and to instill habits and, uh, and for people to see real health results. And, uh, and fortunately, everyone has seen uh, great health results. We've had everybody who, had, who came with diabetes has normalized their blood glucose. Um, everybody who is overweight has lost weight. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been really successful so far. And uh, uh, I'm you know, pretty confident that in health terms, we'll continue to be successful with uh, just about everybody who comes. So you know, every single person who's come has had uh, significant health improvements so far. And wow. I'm sure there will come a time when somebody comes who can't be helped, but uh, uh, I'm beginning to think that might be quite a long time because our <laughs> statistics are really good. Great. Paul, do you think that that you'll ever come out with a cookbook? Yeah. <laughs> My wife and I are working on it, um, uh, and we'll get it out as soon as we can. Oh, great. Um, so fortunately, Russ Crandall has come out with a Perfect Health Diet cookbook. Okay. And that goes on sale. That's on sale now for pre-order. It'll be shipped in February. Uh, that's called The Ancestral Table. Um, and then I'm also working on a uh, video product a, uh, that will be called Perfect Health University. And uh, um, so we'll... You know, that will be an educational program uh, delivered through videos on how to be healthy. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, those are the things that are keeping me keeping me busy. Okay. Well, Paul, it's been great having you back on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. It's uh, great fun as always. And if uh, people want to learn more, they can go to our website, perfecthealthdiet.com. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Thanks for listening.